Well, nice and back again here in the church. And I do trust that God will bless us as we turn to his precious words. Now, if you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read some verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as a one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not made to be called an apostle, because I preached, I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Die of Christ be preached that he rose again from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then come of the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I don't know, dear friends, if you're familiar 
with the works of Charles Dickens. But if you are, you know that Charles Dickens wrote a novel by the name of Hard Times. And in that particular novel, Hard Times, he has a character by the name of Mr. Thomas Grandgrind. And he was a schoolmaster. And Mr. Grandgrind liked to specialize in facts. And here's what he says. Facts alone are wanted in life. Stick to facts. In this life, we want nothing but facts. Well, if Mr. Thomas Grandgrind was here today, he would be so delighted and so pleased because we're going to deal with facts. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writing to this church at Corinth, he reminds them of three great facts. Fact number one in verse four, uh, verse three, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Fact number two, and that he was buried. And then fact number three, and that he rose again the third day according to uh, the scriptures. Three great facts. He died. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. Now, there's no problem with fact number one. Our Lord Jesus literally actually died. That was uh, testified both by the Jewish people and of course by the Roman authorities because they carried out his crucifixion and when Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate to uh, get his body uh, Pilate was a wee bit mystified and puzzled if he was dead already and so he called for the centurion who was looking after the crucifixion and he uh, got the news from the centurion that uh, yes uh, Jesus was uh, truly dead uh, there's no fact there's no doubt about fact number two that he was buried by Joseph of Arimathea but uh, dear friends when we come to fact number three that is when the trouble begins because while people are quite willing to believe that he died on the cross quite willing to accept that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But when they come to, uh, to this fact, that he rose again from the dead. Be quite honest, uh, this has been and still is greatly denied. Surely, they say, in the 21st century, you can't expect people to believe that this man who was crucified on the cross and was buried in the tomb 
on the third day that he rose again. When you're dead, you're dead. That is what they believe today, many of them. And so there's tremendous controversy, tremendous conflict, tremendous battle with regard to this great fact that he rose again from the dead. Do you remember when Paul was preaching in, uh, on Mars Hill? He's bringing his speech to a close, and remember, he's talking to the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics. He's talking to the intelligentsia of that particular day, what we would call the eggheads, the clever people. And when Paul mentioned that God has appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness and he's given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him, that is Jesus, from the dead. Now as soon as he said that, here's the reaction. Some mocked. They jeered. They laughed. What? The resurrection of the dead, impossible, hopeless. Now that happened in the first century AD, and sad to say, it is still happening in the 21st century in which we live. The clever people, the intelligentsia, the eggheads, the, the militant atheists, the skeptics, the agnostics, they laugh, they jeer, they mock at this fact of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And this morning, dear friends, as Christians, we believe he died, we believe he was buried, and we believe that he rose again from the dead. Now, step out of this place and talk to people walking by, people in Moody'sburn, wherever you live, you mention this to them. There's every possibility that they will say to you, well, now, that, that's wonderful, you Christians, you believe in that, that's wonderful. Now, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? Can, can you prove it? And today, if you listen to the great debates, which I have listened to some of the great debates between atheists and Christians, they don't speak so much of proof. They speak of evidence. It is only in the field of mathematics that you can have actually proof. And in the debates, they want to know the evidence. Why do you believe what you believe. Now, we used to sing a hymn, and we still sing it sometimes. You asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Now, you try telling that to uh, Professor Richard Dawkins. Try telling that to the atheists. He lives within my heart. Do you mean the muscular organ that pumps the blood through the body? Is that where he lives? Immediately you see you've got a problem. 
They want more than your lovely feelings within. They want evidence. You say he's alive? Well, I, what's the evidence? A dear Christian, you've got to be in the position to say this is the evidence. We don't base our faith and our trust in our Lord's resurrection because of how we feel. Oh no, we've got evidence to substantiate that our Lord Jesus rose again from the dead. Evidence is tremendously important. And I'm so glad to say, dear friends and Buddhist born this morning, that we have evidence for the, our Lord's resurrection. Now, let me read to you two quotations. First is from Lord Lenhurst. Now, he was one of the greatest minds in English legal history. Now, here's what he says. I know pretty well what evidence is. And I tell you, such evidence as that for the resurrection has never broken down. Isn't that tremendous? That's from Lord Linhouse, one of the greatest minds in English legal history. The evidence for the resurrection has never broken down. Now, here's what uh, Lord Darling, a former Chief Justice of England, said. There exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection is true. Is it absolutely tremendous? These are legal minds. And they've looked at the evidence for the resurrection. And they say it has never broken down. And a jury presented with the evidence could not fail to bring in the verdict that he rose again from the dead. Now this morning, and the Lord willing next Sunday morning, we're going to have a look at the evidence of our Lord's resurrection. And let's face facts, dear friends, and this might surprise you. Not one of our Lord's disciples ever expected Jesus to rise from the dead. And if you can give me a chapter and a verse, please do so after the service, which will show that they believed that he was going to rise again from the dead. They didn't believe it. And it took the Lord 40 days after he arose from the dead to convince them that he was truly and wonderfully alive. And here's the first evidence this morning. He was seen after he rose from the dead. And then next on the Lord willing, we shall come back. And the evidence next Sunday will be this. He was heard after he rose from the dead. This morning, 
Evidence number one. He was seen after he rose from the dead. You see, in a court of law, an eyewitness is a very, very important person. And if the prosecution can present and produce eyewitnesses to certain things, they can win their case very easily. Because here's a person or persons that have actually been present and have seen with their eyes certain things. And have you noticed in our scripture reading this morning that no less than four times Paul mentions this fact. Verse 5, and he was seen of Cephas. Verse 6, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. 7, after that he was seen of James. Verse 8, and last of all, he was seen of me also. Seen, 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 seen. Paul producing eyewitnesses to our Lord's resurrection. Now let me say very quickly four things about the fact he was seen. First of all, he was seen by both men and women. Not just by men, not just by women, but he was actually seen by men and women. And while the Apostle Paul doesn't mention in 1 Corinthians 15 the testimony of women, we have it in the Gospels that there are those dear ladies who actually saw the Lord Jesus when he rose from the dead. Secondly, he was seen by individuals and by groups of people. That's interesting. First of all, he was seen by individuals. Think of Mary Magdalene. Think of Peter. Think of James. Think of Paul. And these were the individuals that the Lord Jesus appeared to. And they actually saw him with their naked eyes. Seen by individuals. And then, of course, he was seen by groups of people. Think of the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a distance of seven miles. And as they were walking, Jesus came along and walked with them the seven miles to Emmaus, little group of two. And then, of course, he appeared to seven by the Sea of Galilee. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that on one occasion he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now I will grant you that it's possible for one person to be deceived, two persons to be deceived, perhaps even half a dozen people to be deceived. But surely you're not going to tell me that all those over 500 people were all deceived at the same time? Of course not. And Paul adds this, he says, most of them are still living. 
quite a few have died. But check it out, guys. Check it out. Go ahead. Most of them are still living. You can go and you can talk to them. And then, of course, he appeared to the twelve disciples. So, to individuals and to groups of people, they seen him. And then, little thirdly, he was seen in a variety of circumstances. And this is very interesting. On one occasion, it was in a house. He suddenly appeared. The doors were locked because of the fear of the Jews. When suddenly, our Lord Jesus appeared in the house. And then, of course, he appeared to those seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee as they were fishing. And then he appeared on the road to those two disciples, Cleophas and probably his wife. Notice fourthly, he was seen on occasions for a short time and other times for a prolonged time. And it varies. Sometimes just a short time, other times a prolonged time. My dear friends, that's the evidence that we have in the Bible. Clear evidence seen by individuals, seen by groups of people, different circumstances, and at times long, sometimes short. Now, that raises the question, and is this, what did they See, if this witness is in a court of law, and he said, when I, uh, I saw this or I saw that, uh, the judge would probably say, well, I, tell me, what exactly did you see? You're an eyewitness, what did you see? And uh, we can say three things. What they saw first of all, was a real body. Now you remember in Luke 24, when Jesus suddenly appeared to the disciples, they were terrified. Remember, they weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. They were terrified when suddenly he appears. And they thought he was, they were seeing a spirit. That's what Dr. Luke says, who wrote the gospel. They thought they were seeing a spirit. They were terrified. And then notice what the Lord said. Handle me and see. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Go ahead, handle me. Handle my hands. Handle my feet. Handle my side. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. Dear friends, what they saw was a real body. Flesh and bones. But wait a minute. It wasn't just a real body. It was a transformed body. And if this doesn't seem too Irish when I say this, the body that came from the tomb on that third day, that resurrection morning, it was the same body, only different. 
You see, it was a transformed body. It could appear and it could disappear. It could walk through doors. Now you try that after the service. You try that. You'll get hurt. You can't do it. But the Lord Jesus did. They were gathered in the house. The doors were locked for fear of the Jews. And then did, did Jesus open the door and come? Oh no, he just walked through the doors. Because this was a body that was transformed. And it was a body was not subject even to the law of gravitation. Now why are you sitting in your seat and not floating about in the air? Because gravitation is keeping you down. Gravitation keeps everything down. But in Acts chapter 1 we find at his ascension he began to rise. Gravitation had no pull on him because this was a transformed body. A real body, a transformed body, but it was an identical body. That's what I say, the same, only difference. Because when the Lord appeared in Luke 24, he says, Handle me and see. And then it says, He showed them his hands and his side. And they could see the marks of crucifixion. The nail marks. And you remember that Roman soldier plunged a spear into our Lord's side when he was on the cross? It was there, the wounds. They could see the nail prints. They could see the wound on his side. They could see in his feet. And here's what the Lord said. It is I myself. Now he could have said it is I. Or he could have said it is myself. But he puts it most emphatically. It is I myself. You see, full of doubts, fear, terror. And yet the Lord wanted to assure them that it was really himself. Yes, the one that was crucified on the cross, the one who died and the one who was buried. And on the third day, he was raised triumphantly from the dead. That's what they saw. A real body, a transformed body, an identical body, but fourthly, it was a glorified body. And here's the good news to a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning at this meeting, if you're saved by the grace of God, if you die, and let's be honest, let's face facts this morning. If the Lord Jesus not return in your lifetime, you're going to die. And I'm going to die. And yes, death will hold you for a time. But hallelujah, it won't hold you forever. Because when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, God is going to resurrect you again. And is going to give you a body like unto his glorious body. 
Isn't that good news? You shall have a glorified body like unto him. Because Paul says in Philippians 3, Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change. Now the authorized version is a very bad translation here. It says that the our vile body, really it is the body of our humiliation, that it may be changed into his glorious body. Now, here's a wee question for you eggheads this morning in Moody's Burn. You clever people. Here's a question for you. Will your resurrection body be exactly the same as his? Will you be able to appear and disappear? Will you be able to walk through doors? Now, when you have your steak dinner after the service, or whatever you're going to have... Don't turn on the television. There's not much on this afternoon. Get your Bible down. Think about it. Ponder it. And uh, let me know next Sunday if you've got revelation. I'd like to know. Because remember this, Paul says, that in all things he must have the preeminence. Oh yes, your body will be likened unto his glorified body but it may not be identical to every detail but check it out you see dear friends don't be gullible don't believe everything preachers say oh what an awful thing to say you see Christians sometimes can be very gullible they believe anything they hear preachers say oh no be like the Bereans you remember when Paul went to Berea and he preached what did they do they received the word gladly and then it says Dr. Luke says this they searched the scriptures daily to see whether it was true and remember this is Paul preaching not just Paul preaching this is Paul preaching and yet they checked Paul out by the scriptures Dear friends, you've got a Bible, and God will hold you responsible for how you use it. Check it out by the Scriptures. Prove it. There's the first line of evidence, dear friends. Let the atheists say what they like. Let the agnostics say what they like. Let the scoffers say what they like. Our faith in the resurrection of our blessed Lord Jesus is not grounded upon emotion or feelings, but is grounded, established on facts. Oh, how Mr. Grand Grind would be delighted. He'd be jumping for joy, actually, if he was here this morning, because we'd be dealing with facts, real facts, evidence that has never broken down. I remember listening to a debate between uh, Professor Richard Dawkins, who's a militant atheist, as you know, and also Professor Phillips, Professor of Mathematics at um, Oxford University. And Dawkins said something at the end. He says, and he's, he's speaking on behalf of atheists, he says, we can never disprove 
the existence of God. What a confession to come from Richard Dawkins. We can never disprove the existence of God. That's what Dawkins said. That's my words. That's his word. We can never disprove the existence of God. And likewise we can say to the atheists, to the scoffers, to the infidels, yes you can laugh, you can mock, you can jeer. Try and disprove it. You can't do it. The evidence has never broken down. <laughs> but some clever clerk may come along and say, okay Stanley, you've made your case. But have you ever thought that perhaps those disciples were a, bit, a wee bit deluded? They were deceived. Jesus didn't really rise again from the dead. But what we do is we'll spread a lie. We'll say that he's alive while all the time we know that he's rotten away somewhere in the tomb. Boy, that takes some believing. Tell me, would you be prepared to suffer and even to die as a martyr and be crucified and stoned to death in order to proclaim a lie? Of course you wouldn't. Those disciples that were burned to the stake and that were crucified and that were persecuted and led down their lives they led down their lives dear friends not because of a lie but because of a glorious truth that their Lord Jesus was truly and wonderfully alive now let me just finish what the Lord said to John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1 Poor John is exiled, ostracized on the Isle of Patmos of the mainland. And it is the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And no doubt John's mind is going to the mainland, the churches of Ephesus, Laodicea, Philadelphia, and so forth. And he's probably thinking, well, I, they're getting together, maybe to remember the Lord's death. We're half fellowship. And here I am. Exile, ostracized. But you know, he had a visitor. And it was the Lord himself, the risen Christ, who came to John on the Isle of Patmos. And here's what he said to John. Fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and have the keys of death and of Hades. I must say again, hallelujah, alive forevermore. And dear friends, for nearly 2,000 years, he's still living and he shall never, never, never die again. John had a visitor. He saw the apocalyptic vision of the risen Christ. He heard the Lord's word, fear not. And he felt the Lord's touch, because the Lord laid his right hand upon him, saying unto him, fear not. Oh, I'm so glad this morning that our faith 
has found a resting place not in device nor creed we trust the ever living one his wounds for us shall bleed he's alive he's alive he's alive forevermore it's exciting I'm getting excited friends I wish I could go on for another half an hour but I have to finish it's tremendous this is a tremendous truth friends my, people get excited kicking a, a bag of wind on a football match. My, here we are this morning, Christians, and he's alive. Oh, hallelujah. What a saviour. He's conquered sin. He's conquered the devil. He's conquered the last enemy. For the last image we destroyed is death. And dear friends, if the Lord doesn't come in our lifetime and we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death here's what David said I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they come from me let me finish with a lovely story uh, John Wesley you know was the founder of the Methodist denomination and he was talking to Charles Wesley his brother and Charles with the great hymn writer wrote 5,000 hymns and was still singing the day and one day John said to a brother Charles, he says, Charles, the people may not like our religion, but there's one thing they can't deny, our people die well. Those early Methodists, they faced death right in the face, and they realized that because of a living Savior, it would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. God bless you and thank you for listening so patiently but I had to convey this this message this morning next Sunday Lord willing we'll have evidence number two he was hurt after he rose from the dead